Hello team and welcome to episode 354 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Amber Shaw. Amber is a mind and body transformation coach, host of the Wellness Revolution podcast, whose main focus is on helping women over the age of 40 achieve food freedom. Navigating your health and well-being in your 20s and 30s is difficult enough for many of us, but what about when you hit your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, and even the age groups beyond that? With the stresses of life and the responsibilities we face at this age range, and after years of countless diets and abuse done to our bodies, it doesn't make things easy. This is why Amber has committed herself to empowering women and taking it back to base to help them achieve the health and the bodies that they want without going through another cycle of dieting. In this episode, you can expect to learn how you can stop dieting and achieve food freedom, what are some of the changes to expect as you go through your 20s, your 30s, and your 40s, along with what Amber at the age of 44 does to keep herself in shape and how she plans to do this in her 50s, her 60s, and beyond. So without further ado, Amber Shaw. Amber Shaw, welcome to the show. How are you today? Oh, Elliot, I'm so great. Thanks for having me. I am glad to hear it. I'm super excited to have you on the show as well. I'm excited to discuss your points of view on all things health and fitness. I feel like, like we said just before we got on, we're going to have a lot to discuss today. So we'll get straight into it. But the first thing I do want to ask to give the listeners a little bit of context about you, who is Amber? Yeah, thank you for asking. I, you know, I love to share my story because it is not, if you would have asked me three years ago, would I be sitting here on a podcast talking about my life story? I wouldn't even have dreamt that up. And so it's been um, just a really interesting, but I think divinely guided journey the uh, the entire time. So, you know, I, for me, and this kind of, th- this is relevant, what I'm about to share uh, just to the work that I'm doing now and why I'm doing the work that I'm doing, you know, helping women, you know, break the dieting cycle and really, you know, create a sustainable lifestyle um, and lose the weight for good. And, it, and it really, that goes back to my own journey with myself. And, you know, I can tell you that from from the age of about nine years old, I f- had this feeling that I was not, that my body wasn't good enough, that I was not in the right body. And I don't mean that I, you know, I don't mean that I was, you know, not who I was supposed to be, but I just meant that my body wasn't okay in the shape it was in. And this comes from you know, I had female figures, you know, I'm 44 years old. I grew up in that time when I was a little girl, when, you know, moms and grandmas and aunts and, you know, all, they all talked about how fat they were all the time, what diet they were doing, the scale, all of that. And I also, at at that age, I had uh, female figures in my life make comments about my body. And I was never an overweight kid, but I always was very tall. I was bigger than the other kids. I was athletic. And, you know, to a nine-year-old little girl to be told, made any sort of comment about her body, it really is a very scarring moment. And so for me, that theme of like not being good enough to tying my self-worth in the way that I looked, it really is a theme that, you know, that haunted me my entire life. You know, in my, when I was 15, I started my first calorie restricted diet. I didn't even know what a calorie was. I just knew that I wasn't supposed to eat a lot of them. That's all I knew. Um, and I, this progressed into my twenties where I was bulimic. Um, I was very, I felt very out of control with like trying to, you know, maintain this like perfect body, you know, all the time, so much pressure on myself. And then fast forward, I got married, I got pregnant, and with both babies, I gained about 65, 70 pounds of weight with both babies. And 
That's an unhealthy amount of weight to gain in a pregnancy, number one, but it was emotionally a very unhealthy weight for me to gain um, because I just felt very out of control. But the truth is, is that I used those nine months as basically of being pregnant as basically nine months to do an all out binge. Like I was just, you know, I'd been on restrictive diets my entire life, constantly manipulating my body, constantly bouncing from one diet to the next that I finally, I was so tired that it was like, this was my chance. Like this is my chance to get it in like that all or nothing mentality. Right. I mean, that's how I've lived my life. And so I had both my kids and I, I lost the weight, um, very unhealthy. I mean, I was just talking to somebody yesterday about like the last like true diet I did. It was like right after my son was born and it was like, it was so wild looking back. It was like, basically you did like a 10 day cleanse, like a true, like just one of those nasty, like cleanses where you eat nothing but like cayenne and lemon water. Like it was gross. And then for like 40 days, you alternated 24 hour fasting within like, and then the, the next day was like a thousand calories or something like that. And you alternated that for like, it was like 30 or 40 days. I mean, and I look back and I'm like, that is, I mean, like I, I lost the weight. No doubt. You're starving out. yourself, right? Yeah. I'm starving my body. Yeah. My hair was starting to fall out a little bit. Like it was just a mess. And so, you know, that's sort of like a little bit of my history of like kind of my, my dieting career and kind of what, what led to that. But really what led to me being the coach Amber that I am today was right when I hit around 40. From the outside looking in, I had the I had the perfect life. I mean, I was married to somebody who was very successful. I'd known him actually since I was seven years old. Um, I had two beautiful children. I was crushing it in my sales career, making multiple six figures and doing extremely well um, from the outside looking in. But <laughs> from the inside looking out, my life was falling apart. My marriage was crumbling. I was so unhappy and unsatisfied in my sales job. I just knew that it was not my purpose, but I didn't know what to do because I felt stuck. I was scared, right? Um, and I was very, very unhappy with myself. I was tired of, of hating my body. I was tired of abusing my body. I was tired of feeling less than. And so I was just a very, very sad woman. And, and so right around this time, I had my 40th birthday coming up and I was like, I need to go and get quiet. I need to just, I need to figure some things out. Right around this time, I'd also started doing like a lot of work on myself, going down a spiritual journey of just trying to like figure out what are my next steps? Like, what do I want my next 40 years to look like? You know, I don't, I, I've got to fix this because I'm so miserable. And so I took a trip to um, Costa Rica for my 40th birthday for a yoga retreat with the intention of wanting to figure out what are my next steps with my job, because I knew I had to get out of sales. I just wasn't, I, I had to get out of it. And so I had a very, like, I had a very, uh, kind of earth shattering moment for myself when I was meditating on the beach, just asking spirit, what should, what, what am I going to do? What are my next steps? And the word coach just hit me. And it was just in that moment. It was just like, I just knew, I knew right then the reason why I was going through all of this pain was because I needed to turn it into purpose. 
And I didn't know really what that looked like yet, um, but I heard it. The message was so crystal clear to me um, that I came back into I came back into the states and I immediately enrolled in an integrative nutrition program, uh, and that really started my own healing journey as well. Um, and so right before the pandemic hit, a little did I know that, that God was leading me in the right direction because I had launched an online business right before the pandemic hit. And, um, and it was just the, the right, right place at the right time for that, that type of business. Um, and it just, it's, that's sort of how it kind of all came to be for me. That's a pretty incredible story. And it's a nice reminder that how much we feel stuck in the path that we're on we can always make a change, right? It's a very, very different lifestyle. Yes. Did you end up ending that marriage or? I did, yes. And it was a very, it was not an easy road. That was a very, very traumatic time for me. There were some things that went on in that marriage that I don't share publicly for this protection of my children, but that were out of my control. Uh, and it was very devastating for me. And I finally made the decision. We tried to work through therapy. I mean, I'm a fighter. Like I didn't just up and leave. Like we, I'm a child of divorce and I know how, how, how impactful that is on a, on a, on a kid. And so I tried so hard, but I ultimately decided that I wanted my children to see what a healthy marriage looked like. And if I stayed in this marriage, they wouldn't be able to see that. And I just knew that, you know, to stay in the marriage was to deny myself. And I eventually made the very difficult decision to leave. So that was there. And so right around this time, I'm like in the middle of a divorce, going through a pandemic, it, launching my online business, still working my other sales job at the same time because I didn't know where this business was going to go. Um, so it was, it was, it was, a, it was a very uh, rough couple years, but I learned a lot. I'll say that. Yeah, I bet. It sounds like a crazy phase of your life, but three years down the line, you're here today. You are helping women get back control of their life through their health and their wellness. So it all works out well in the end. And I think that that's the big message I want people to take away is that sometimes we can feel very stuck. And like you knew this guy from seven years old, you'd been in that career for endless years and you were doing well. So it would have been easy to stay with what was comfortable, but you decided to take that bold and brave step into the discomfort, but ultimately the thing that's going to be the best for you in the long term, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that uh, you know, I think that it, to your point, you know, it can be very easy to, to stay in what's comfortable, right? You know, it can be very easy to, to stay in what we know. But as you know, Elliot, I mean, where the growth happens is when we get uncomfortable and when we are willing to take some chances and where we are willing to, you know, may, you know, get out, like I said, get out of that comfort zone, uh, and, and really, um, you know, it makes it be bold and, and be bold with it. Yeah, absolutely. And coming back to these past few years or so, is this truly the moment where you feel like you've truly found food freedom or was that achieved prior to these last few years? Oh no, definitely. in the last few years, I mean, that's, that is one of the beauties I think of like, of this coaching journey for me is that I really did heal myself along the way as well. You know, and I, I think food freedom is one of those words I think that gets tossed around a little bit that can mean, you know, a lot of different things to a lot of different people. You know, for me, what food freedom was, was learning how to enjoy food again and not 
overanalyzing every single morsel that I put in my mouth and not counting and tracking and not using food as a, as a punishment or a reward and really just having a total reframe on the way that I view food, you know, stop, you know, telling myself that I can or can't have something. You know what? I, I'm a grown woman. I can actually eat what I want, right? Like I can make that decision to eat what I want. And for me, you know, when you, and this is how I coach my clients, it's like when you can operate from that place of permission, you know, when you can operate from that place of just allowing yourself a little bit of freedom, then you will, then, and I know for me, like you will make different decisions. You will make decisions through the lens of, you know, I'm, I'm doing this because this is what will make me feel good. Like this is, this is what will help me in my health journey. It's, it's no longer this like operating out of that, that monkey brain of like, Oh, I can, or I can't have something. Um, it, it, it creating, giving yourself that permission puts you in a completely different part of your mind that you can make decisions about your nutrition from a place of power um, and from a place of more kind of, I think, rational thinking, if that makes sense. And so for me, that was really so much of like what food freedom really is. Yeah, absolutely. And a big part of your work is allowing people to achieve food freedom in whatever that means for you. And another big thing that you speak about strongly is diet culture. You even mentioned, you know, the people uh, who are big figures in your life when you're growing up, your mom, your grandmother and everything, they were influenced by diet culture then. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the impact that's had on you and the impact that still has on many, many people today? Oh, I mean, yes, absolutely. You know, it's really funny. I was just having this conversation with a, another, uh, another, she's a, another, she used to be a female competitor and we were talking about this, about about how it is such a shame what diet culture has done to not just like the physical body of so many women. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, discount the men too, because I know there are a lot of men who are actually very impacted by diet culture. Men just don't talk about it as much, I think. Um, but there's a lot of men who struggle with body image issues and, and all of that. Um, but I think, you know, one, it's, it's just such a shame, this whole message of like, you know, just eat less, move more. And if you you want to lose weight, you just keep cutting your calories and like these dangerous and lazy and misinformed messages. I think it, it really gets me so fired up. And, and what I want to say about that is that I'm not saying that calories aren't a piece of the puzzle, but our bodies are way more complex than that. And this whole, you know, this whole idea of it's just calories in and just calories out. I strongly disagree with that. They are a piece of the puzzle. They are not the only piece. There are other factors that can contribute to your ability to lose weight. And so for so many women though, you know, we are really, I think shoved that message is shoved down our throat. Right. And so it was for me too. And so you have this whole culture of women now who are way under eating over exercising and they wonder why they can't lose weight. And what I'll say too, and as you know, it's like every time you try a diet, like the first time you do a diet, right? Like per, you probably will have great success, but every single time you yo-yo diet, you may notice that you, you have good success. And then because you really didn't put the habits in place to support that lifestyle and keeping that weight off, then the weight probably comes back. Or maybe you fell back into old patterns, stress got in the way, like you did 
didn't really focus on the process of what it would take to be that person who lost the weight. So the weight comes back. So then, so what do you do? Like you go on another diet, but now you realize that maybe it wasn't easy as the first time. And so then, then you, so then you just, and then, so you decide you got to go a little more drastic, right? And you just keep going. And so this yo-yo dieting is just, not only is it just so damaging to your body physically in the long term, but I know for a lot of women, and this was the, the case for me, it was damaging mentally because with every failed diet came just a little chip away in my self-confidence and my self-worth and the way that I spoke to myself in my inner belief that I could make change. And the thing is, is that when you have one area of your life that you feel this way about, whether or not you like you, like you, you can't do something or your work, you know, you, your self-worth is down. You don't love yourself. Like whether or not you realize it, that does start to, um, you know, that does start to move into other areas of your life. And so I always, yeah, I'm like, I always say like, I think like diamonds are diamonds. Diets are, diets are the devil. Like diets seriously are the devil because it's much deeper, especially for women than the physical. It really does affect women mentally a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And coming back to that perspective as well, it's that there's so many diets started every single year as well. I was talking to someone on the podcast this morning. She was like, most Americans will attempt four to five approaches of fat loss almost per year, you know? So imagine four or five hits at your confidence and your kind of self-belief in yourself every single time that you end up failing, quote unquote. And it's not necessarily that you failed. It was just that you chose the wrong approach. It's like the whole uh, round peg square hole situation you know it's like it was never supposed to succeed and it might have done once upon a time but that was in a very very different place but when you're five years down the line and 25 diets later the way your body responds to that is very very different as well and i want to come back to that calorie deficit piece you mentioned that that's just a part of the equation so what are some of the other factors that will impact a woman specifically uh, fat loss pursuits other than just being in a calorie deficit well i mean hor- i mean hormones are a huge one i mean hormones are a huge one. You know, what a lot of women don't understand and don't realize again, because if you're not in this space of health and wellness and you're just really listening to like what kind of diet culture is telling you and really what that message, again, going back to the whole like calories in, calories out, you know, eat less, move more. What a lot of women don't realize is that you know, as you, you know, continue to cut your calories, right? Like, you know, your body will adapt. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing. Your metabolism will adapt. You'll need, you know, the more weight you lose, you'll, you'll require fewer calories. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but this is what happens. This is when it becomes a bad thing is when, because we want results and we want them now, we can go in a calorie deficit. We don't get the results as quick as we want. We get impatient and we slash our calories, right? And, and we keep doing that to now we are in an unhealthy deficit. And by most, most standards would say for women, it's under, under 1200 calories there. That literally is like enough calories for a three year old, unless you are like under five feet tall, like extremely petite, like really no grown woman should be eating under 1200 calories. I mean, it's a very, very low number to eat over a long period of time. And, and so what happens when you are constantly in this deficit, it's like you are, 
your, the amount of calories you need will drop. But then what it really means is that then to like, if you're eating under 1200 calories, you can say a thousand, 1200 calories. Then now what happens is in order for you to start seeing results again, you really need to be eating like 600 calories. Right. And so, and I don't know, like that is such an unhealthy, you're, you're not supporting your body. You're not even supporting your body that, you know, you're the metabolic rate that what your organs need to survive. It's a very dangerous place to be. But also part of this, um, you know, that even can affect women is, is hormones. It's a big piece of it. You know, all of our hormones work together. Uh, you know, our, our, our cortisol, you know, our estrogen, progesterone, they all work together. And when you are over exercising, you're under eating, you're constantly in like a, in a calorie deficit for too long, you are putting stress on your body. And when we, when our bodies are under stress, they, it, our bodies react the same way, whether it's emotional stress because you're angry because, you know, you got stopped at the red light or whether or not it's environmental stress, like you are, you know, in, uh, ingesting you know, too many toxins environmentally or it's physical stress, right? Like not sleeping, under eating, over exercising, your body reacts the same way, which is a release of cortisol. And you know, the woman I was talking to today, she, she made a really good analogy and it really is true. Is like, you think about your car, like you think about your body as like a car, right? And there's all these moving parts, right? And you know, when your body, when your car is working like a well, and it's all the parts are working, it's working like a well-oiled machine, it drives great, right? But it's like when one part of your car starts to break down, then it doesn't really want to do everything else so well. And so it's like the same thing for your body. It's like when your hormones get out of whack, when your adrenals get too stressed, you know, all of these things, then your, it causes inflammation in the body and your ability to like lose the weight, your body doesn't want to let it go so, so quickly because it feels like it's under stress. It's under attack. Like you're stressing your body out. So the calories in calories out part of it, there is truth to that, but it is a massive oversimplification. Uh, and in my opinion, lazy advice to like, what's really, what could be really going on with your body and dangerous advice to what's really going on with your body. Mm -hmm. And I guess age plays a role as well. And you've been on a journey Absolutely. ever since you were like 14, 15 years old. How has your journey and how has your body responded differently through the different age ranges that you've been in, in your twenties, in your thirties, and now in your forties, how has your body responded differently throughout those uh, periods of your life? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, listen, I coach women over 40, 40, 50 and beyond every single day. And like the number one thing that we all say, and we can all like agree on is our bodies just don't react the same way as they used to. You know, there's a lot of things going on with your body, especially over the age of 40, you know, for women, you know, we're losing about a half a pound of muscle per year, you know, your metabolism, your metabolic rate does start to drop, you know, as, as you age, um, there's just your hormone shift. And so, yeah, like what I was doing in my twenties, uh, and even in my thirties, it doesn't work as well in my forties for all of those reasons, because yes, my hormone shifting do, do play a role in my ability to lose weight. Um, and so I think too, you know, the difference between twenties and thirties and like forties, fifties and beyond is that there's a lot more stress and responsibility in life in your like, you know, thirties, forties and beyond than it was in your twenties. And, um, you just, I think that that plays a role too, like your stress. So yeah, I mean, I think that for me, and I know, you know, this is true for, you know, a lot of women, it's just our bodies 
are not the same and, and, and it, re, it re, responds differently. And so what that means is that you also have to treat it differently. And so when it comes to say exercise, you know, I mean, one of the most important things that, you know, as we age that we can do is start incorporating more restorative exercise into our daily, go for more walks, go for hikes, like this whole, you know, five, six, seven day a weeks of like long bouts of cardio and like doing all that again, it's putting stress on your body and your body's not going to respond as well, unless you're like an extreme athlete or something like that. But for most people, we do have to start shifting because our bodies are not responding the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious to get a little bit more of an insight into the work that you do with these ladies in their 40s, their 50s and 60s. Let's say a, and this is kind of the typical 40-year-old woman that you're going to come across. She's super stressed out. She's got a lot of responsibilities. She's got young kids or teenage kids. She's got a full-on work life, full-on social life as well. And is put herself on maybe between 12 and 1400 calories. Weight isn't shifting. What do you do with a woman in that type of situation? I know it's very individualized, but generally, what are your first points of action with a lady like that? No, I love this question. And in fact, you just described like, you know, three quarters of the women I work with, right? Uh-huh. So yeah, this is so, this is so what I see typically. And what I got to tell you is that my, what I want to tell you is that my approach really to sustainable weight loss is completely different because I, I really am a big believer on focusing on the process as opposed to the outcome, right? Like, I think that this is such the problem with diet culture is it teaches us to go like right for the nutrition, right for the exercise. And then we can lose the weight. We can like do whatever we got to do to lose the weight. But then when we lose it, like, we just really don't know how to like our, our, our mindset hasn't really changed. Like our, our beliefs haven't really changed. Our, our habits haven't really changed. And so we go right back to doing what we were doing. And so the weight the weight comes on and the weight comes back. And so I'm a really big believer in starting the first place you start before you even get to working on nutrition, working on the fitness piece of it is like talking, like getting, starting with the basics. So I always want to know from somebody, how, how much are you sleeping? Like, do let's not like, do we need to set some sleep goals here? Because whether or not you realize it or not, you know, or whether if you're listening to this and you're not getting to sleep, you know, you might not realize that not only we know that not getting enough sleep can maybe make us cranky the next day, or it can make us, you know, we feel tired, lethargic. We don't maybe want to go do a workout or whatever, but you may not realize too, how hormonally it's affecting you to not get enough sleep. You know, again, going back to the cortisol, your leptin, your ghrelin, all of that, uh, that is affecting your food choices. And so really like sleep is like ground zero. So like, I don't even want to talk to you about what we're doing with your food until like, let's talk about some sleep, right? So typically what we do to, to first get going is it's usually like looking at those foundational things, right? It is getting enough sleep. It is figuring out a way just to move your body. So that usually starts with just a, like some step goals, right? Like let's just create the habit of moving our body, right? And the other thing that I focus on right off the bat is I do focus on a protein goal. And I am not a big, I, in fact, I coach women how to, uh, how to not track, right? I coach on like learning portion sizes and just education of like different, you know, different sources of like, you know, uh, protein and all your, all your different macros, but like what do portion sizes look like and really like eating for more blood sugar control, like just really 
minimizing a lot of the process and packaged foods, like eating just more whole foods. It's a very simple approach, but it is a- The fundamentals it are- is defi- it's, Yes, absolutely. Um, and the reason why I focus on protein, it's, it's, it's because, and I usually guide my women to like, everyone's a little bit different, but for most like average women, if you're getting around a hundred grams protein a day, you're doing, you're doing pretty well. You're pretty doing, damn you're well. Doing well, right? Yeah. Like that's, you're doing, you're doing well. You know, women don't need 200 grams of protein. They don't need like, we don't, but if you're getting like 50 or 60, you're not getting enough. Right. And so like a hundred grams and if you're not getting an, uh, enough protein at all, like at all, like maybe you start off with like 80 grams, right? Like me, make it realistic. But the reason why I start with a protein gram, it's for a few reasons. You know, protein, we need protein. Women in particularly need, men too. We, we, we all do. We need protein so much for so many different reasons, but especially when I'm coaching women as we are losing muscle, right? Like we need to be, you know, we need to be strength training and we also need to be, you know, fueling our body with enough protein. So we're not continuing to lose more muscle, right? Um, you know, we also need to uh, incorporate protein because it is going to help you to feel more satisfied. It is going to slow your digestion to help stabilize your blood sugar. And when I find that when women are focusing, they're not worrying about all the other stuff. They're just doing that one thing to start off with. When they start focusing on just getting enough protein, um, then they, and I, I'm not talking about like just doing all, like an all protein diet, like cut, I'm saying still eat the other stuff. I'm just saying that like, just simplify it and focus on that one goal, they start to minimize, like they start to work out a lot of the other stuff. They start to add more stuff in, which is more protein. And it starts to just naturally, cause you get full, right? Like you start to naturally just push other things out. Right. And so those are really like just keeping it real simple. And I got to tell you what, just to give you an example, I have a woman in my six month program. I'm not even kidding you. We're on month four. And she has done nothing other than, of course, she's been kind of watching what she eats, but as far as like any kind of like, you know, restrictive this or whatever, like she has done nothing but move her body. She's getting her exercise in, she's getting her sleep in, she's getting her protein in, and she is seeing results. She is losing weight. She's losing body fat. And that's all she's really doing because she's noticing that by getting the more protein, she's just like naturally like letting go of a lot of the other stuff. Her energy is more stable. Her cravings are more stable. So she's not like craving like sugar and refined carbs. So it's like just naturally kind of like falling to the wayside. Um, so I would say now that's not where I end, right? Like there's other things we need to get like, you know, good fats and like all of that. But to answer your question, like where, where would I start somebody? It would be like, with that, um, for sure. And then for that particular example, you gave the 12 to 1400 calories, depending on how everybody is different, but for most women, that's still pretty darn low. Like for most women, usually 14, 1500 is like a much safer number. And so I would slowly kind of reverse diet them out of that. I would slowly increase their calories to like get them back up to heal their metabolism and get them back up to a safer range so that their metabolism a little is a little bit more flexible. So now, you know, if you do have that weekend where you go have Mexican food with your friends, you're not, you know, blowing up on a, on a Monday, your body, do, you know, kind of absorbs it better because you're not going through these like restrictive binge, restrictive binge cycles. Precisely. Yeah, absolutely. I love that advice. I think it's super, super sound and a great place for people to start. And I think that sometimes when we say these things people are like well it's so simple like there must like it must not be that simple but it really is right it's like i've never met anyone who gets the right amount of protein who sleeps well and puts himself on the right amount of calories and moves their body and not actually see results right like it 
it does come down to the fundamentals, right? Well, it absolutely does. And here's what people miss. It can be that simple when you are consistent most of the time over time. Is this, is the advice that we're just talking about going to work in a week? No. Is that going to get you to your goals in two weeks? You'll probably notice a little bit of water weight loss, but are you going to notice some significant fat loss? No. But over time, over time, yes, you will see results. You know, sustainable weight loss is not about perfection. That's what diets are about, right? But sustainable weight loss is being, again, consistent most of the time over time. So it's not sexy advice, but it, it works if you stick with it. Yeah. And let's dive into the back end of the journey now. Let's say that woman has taken your advice. She's done it for a consistent period of time. And she's like that other lady you mentioned, who's like four, five, maybe even six months into her journey. And she's kind of approaching her goal. It's amazing. It's working. What parts of the journey are you going to be looking at now in order to ensure that she sustains this? Because of, I think this is the big missing piece of the puzzle in the industry right now is that we've kind of got this idea of like, okay, well, weight loss is not necessarily simple, but the steps that we need to follow in order to create it are fairly straightforward. We know what we need to do, but that sustainability piece that seeing someone maintain their weight loss for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years is what 90% of people haven't been able to achieve yet. So what route are you going down in order to help your ladies sustain their weight loss for the long term? Yeah, I love that. And I really think that that's one of the things that sets me apart, you know, in this space is that, you know, when I am coaching somebody, what we are working on is creating habits and a lifestyle that works for them. And so we are constantly doing checkpoints of, how is your satisfaction at that last meal, right? Did you just make that salad and add a bunch of protein? Like, and was it like on a scale of one to 10, like one meaning like it sucked, 10, it was the best meal ever. Where is it falling? If it's not falling anywhere but below like a six, like a six or a seven, then we've got to tweak that because you're fooling yourself if you're going to think that you're going to continue to eat like that. You don't enjoy it. So how do we take healthy eating and make it satisfying for you. So constantly making it, you know, constantly checking in with yourself. It's all about reconnecting to your body, right? I talk about this all the time with satisfaction. I talk about this all the time with, um, because women really struggle with this one I, I as uh, cravings, right? For so many of us, we uh, look at cravings as a bad thing because that's what like diet culture teaches us to do. And so then we like tell ourselves we can't have it, can't have it, can't have it. And that may work for a little while, but as you know, like willpower is a muscle, it'll eventually give out. And then what happens? You're in the pantry and you've had like a whole sleeve of cookies now, right? And so I like to teach women as a part of that sustainability piece to really release that mentality of the food being good or bad, right? I know I touched on it earlier, but it's like really owning that mantra of like, I'm a grown woman. I literally can't eat what I want. Okay. So now that I've, now that I've given myself permission for that, what do I really want? What am I really craving? Is it I'm just creating, craving something sweet? Do I want something salty? Is there a healthier alternative? Sometimes you really just want the Oreo and that's okay too. eat the Oreo, but do it mindfully not because you're doing anything wrong, not because you got to get it in because you've been bad and you'll just be good tomorrow. Like let go of all of that because that's what is, that's what's required for maintaining that consistency, right? Is like letting go of that mentality. So for me, it really is a matter of like teaching women how to like 
be honest with themselves of whether or not like what they're doing to lose the weight is really sustainable. Do they enjoy it? Does it work with their lifestyle, right? Do they, do they enjoy it? And then really learning how to reconnect with themselves so that they are never relying on willpower, that they are always being curious about themselves. Get curious about your cravings. Let, take the emotion out. Get clinical with it. Why am I craving sugar? Oh, well, you know what? You didn't sleep very much last night, so it's fine. Have the cookie, but I'm I'm go to bed tonight early, right? Like be able to get curious with like what's going on with your body as opposed to like the knee-jerk reaction that so many of us want to do, which is like feel bad about ourselves and you know feel like we have to start over tomorrow. Yeah, and that knee-jerk reaction always encourages some type of binge and restrict, some type of all or nothing, some type of thing that's going to reinforce just going back through that cycle. And I think, as you mentioned, by giving yourself the permission to say, well, okay, I want the cookie now and I'm going to have it, but it doesn't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things. Of course, if I continue to eat the whole sleeve and I do that on a day-to-day basis, then it's going to be a problem. But as long as, you know, 95% of the time or even 90% of the time, the key principles of my lifestyle are in check. And also if this is coming up often, I'm actually self-analyzing. I'm thinking, okay, well, why is this happening? Then realistically, you should be able to just get back to what you were doing because of you found the approach that works for you. Absolutely. I mean, I got to tell you last night, we, um, I, my kids and I celebrated my birthday. So I was at town for my birthday. And so we celebrate my birthday. We had massive cup. Thank you. We had these massive cupcakes and I, the old Amber would have, and I'm telling you, they were huge. Like these mad with tons of icing. The old Amber would have absolutely eaten the entire thing. I would have probably been able to stop it halfway through, but because I had in my mind back then that I was like being bad and I might as well get all my badness out and I'll just start over tomorrow. I would have eaten the entire thing. And then the next day I would have got on the scale. I would have weighed myself. I probably would have been retaining a little bit of water. Uh, and then I wouldn't have punished myself throughout the entire day. And I probably would have been pretty bloated. I can tell you now though, last night I literally had a quarter of a cupcake and it wasn't because I couldn't have the whole one. I could. I just, they're so sweet that like, I was just being like, I actually just didn't want it. Like, I know when I have that much sugar, I really do get a headache. And like, I just, I didn't really want it. I literally had a quarter of it. I've got all four of them. I've, you know, I've got more of them sitting in my kitchen right now. I probably won't touch them again. And it's not because I can't, it's just because I actually don't want to. And this morning, there was no, when I woke up this morning, there was no punishment. There was no getting on the scale. Uh, I just literally got up and just got my workout in and did what I always do. And so I think, you know, that's, that is where that consistency comes into play. Yeah. And isn't the irony of that, the fact that you give yourself your, that permission to have the cupcake, that that then takes away the desire to then go have a ton of it, right? So we think that, okay, well, if we put these food rules in place, then, you know, that's going to keep me from having any cupcakes at all. But when you say, oh, actually, I can have as much as you want, you tend to want actually less. Here's the thing, crazy thing about that. I had a, I had a doctor on my podcast and we were talking about this thing. And the thing is, is that it's not a coincidence. That genuinely is the way that our brains work. It, it is crazy. Like, you know, talking about that primitive part of your brain and the more rational part of your brain, it, that, that genuinely is how our brains work. It's like the more we tell ourselves no, the more that's where our energy goes, the more that we want it. And it is like, it is like a scientific fact that that's, 
that that's how that goes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it doesn't surprise yeah. me whatsoever. And I want to come onto your journey a little bit more now. You mentioned you've achieved food freedom. You mentioned you got your workout in this morning and everything along those lines, and you are now 43 as well. So what are you doing to maintain your health and well-being and to keep yourself in shape throughout the course of your 40s? And how do you imagine that's going to change in your 50s and your 60s? I love that question, but actually I will tell you I'm 44. Can ah, you oh, I can't. I just turned 44. I just turned 44. Um, uh, no, so, you know, here's what I'll say about with my, about that as far as, especially when it comes to exercise. So to be honest with you, I envision myself doing the same exercise that I did in my fifties that I'm doing now. And the same exercise that I'm doing now, I did it in my thirties and my twenties. I just do it a lot smarter. So what I mean by that is I still strength train and I still pick up heavy weights. Uh, and I'm a big believer in that for women. I was talking about this with a friend today. It's like women who are lifting three pound dumbbells. I'm like, girl, your purse weighs more than that. Like, you're stronger <laughs> than that. Like, let's stop. Um, but I also, um, I take care of my body more, right? So I, I, I do a dynamic warm up, at least five minute warm up before I get into my workouts. I do a cool down stretch, which is really important. I incorporate yoga once a week. So I, I am more mindful from an exercise standpoint of just taking care of my body, right? Like if something is really hurting me, I don't push through the pain uh, like I used to. Um, but I'm also doing things like, you know, the, uh, you know, the percussion therapy a little bit more, like I'm just taking care of my body more. I think when you're younger, you can get away. You're so resilient. Your body's so resilient. You can get away with that. And so I think in my forties, fifties, sixties, I absolutely will still be strength training and working out hard, but I will be taking care of, take, doing, taking the measures to take care of my body. Um, for sure. So that is how I take care of it. I'm absolutely from an exercise standpoint, Really focused on my sleep, I think is really, really important. Um, and nutritionally, like I really do focus on just getting lots of vegetables. I like getting lots of greens. Like I am a big believer in using your food as medicine. You know, your food has the power to heal. And so I am, you know, really, of course I love to eat the pizza and the ice cream and all that stuff, but it's not my primary focus. I use healthy foods. Um, as a way to fuel my body and, and I find ways that I enjoy them so that it's sustainable. Yeah, I love that. The past couple of episodes, we've been discussing with a couple of different experts, a completely no sugar and flour approach. And I have my opinions on that, as you can imagine. And I'm curious to get your opinion on that as well, because of, obviously you speak to many different health professionals. Everyone has a different way to do kind of the same thing. So what's your thoughts on going completely without sugar or flour? So here's my thought. Are there benefits? Are there like, I mean, sugar is, as we know, sugar and flour, like are there, you know, there's so much damage that sugar does to the body. And I can't, I, and I, and I, so I can't argue that. Are there benefits to cutting all of that out? Absolutely. But for most people, that is not a sustainable way to live. And so for most people to live with that extreme of a food rule, it actually swings them in the opposite direction. And so it is way, in my opinion, it is may, way more damaging to like go on these, like that pendulum from like extreme to binge, extreme to binge or whatever, than it is just to have a more moderate 
approach because also when we, you know, we as human beings, especially adults, we have so many things that are filling our brains, especially as we get older and we have kids and we have a job and we have this and we have so many thoughts going throughout our day. And it, our brains have only, like a capacity to only handle so darn much. Right. And it's like a lot of times that what can happen is like, we have all these food rules that we put on ourselves and we just, we, we lose the, ca- the capacity to maintain that. Right. And so it's like, what do we do? We just like, then we just do nothing. Right. And like, again, we go like the other way. And so for me, I'm not arguing that there's not benefits for that. Like definitely listen, if you can do it and you love it and you're healthy with it, like more power to you. That is not me. Uh, I like a little bit of sugar. I really love, uh, having a cookie. Like it is just, and so for me, it's what it's kind of like, my ability to stay consistent over time with the big dial movers is I feel like more important than trying to like maintain this unrealistic expectation when it comes to like completely cutting out sugar and completely cutting out flour. Yeah. I think we share the same thoughts there and it was nice to get a different perspective because of realistically I've come from somewhere with a pretty unhealthy relationship with food. And I, you also told me that in your twenties, you experienced some pretty disordered eating as well. So for two people who've said that they've come from a place of not being super great with food to come into a place where they say, Oh, actually we still can find a middle ground. I think gives a lot of hope and optimism for a lot of people rather than thinking, ah, well, it's all or nothing. And it's an interesting perspective and I'm always open to trying to get people's understanding. But I do think that there's always that middle ground somewhere, right? Yeah, for sure. And again, I think what everybody is different. And like I said, if you are somebody that, you know, keto works for you and you're being honest with yourself that you love to live that way, cool. Do you. If cutting out sugar is works for you, cool. Do you. But I had to get honest with myself, which was cutting out flour and cutting out sugar is not realistic for me. And that's my truth. And so what is, how can I balance that out now with still living a healthy lifestyle, but allowing myself, you know, those indulgences that I enjoy? Preach. I couldn't agree more with that. And the last big piece of the puzzle today that I want to go through is women between the ages of 40 and 60 are going to more than likely experience menopause in different forms. Maybe it's going to be on the more severe side of things and they really take a hit in terms of how they feel and how, yeah, how they feel physically and mentally. And then on the other hand, some might have quite a smooth process. How are you managing the menopause symptoms that a lot of ladies of that age are going through? Yeah, that's such a great question. And, you know, I will tell you that, of course, obviously I'm not a physician. And so everybody is different as far as like what they may need hormonally. Maybe somebody needs hormone replacement therapy. Like everybody can be different with that. But I can tell you from a nutrition standpoint and an exercise standpoint, and any doctor that is familiar with how, you know, exercise and nutrition impacts the body, especially menopausal women, will tell you that the most important things that you can do to minimize your symptoms would be to eat a more whole food diet, right? It would be to uh, minimize and say cut out, but minimize the caffeine and the sugar and the alcohol and the highly refined and processed foods. These are all things that can be hormone disruptors, right? They will also tell you, especially, you know, when it comes to like over you know, overtoxing your liver, right? So it's like, that's is where I like the alcohol and like all of that, um, because your liver is a big filter and it, it affects your hormones, right? So, you know, really 
having as much of a clean diet as you can um, can help to minimize the symptoms. Also, you know, again, going back to working on your sleep, really focusing on stress mitigation, right? So being mindful of the things we talked about in this episode of like, remember the three ways that your body experiences stress emotionally, physically, right? And then environmentally, right? And so being cognizant of those things. So maybe you do switch over to a more clean beauty regimen, right? Maybe you do start to minimize your high intensity exercise to maybe like two, three days a week. And you start incorporating some more, um, you know, restorative exercise, which is important as your estrogen and your progesterone are dropping to incorporate more of that stuff. And so I think that, um, it can just from a, like I said, kind of a, a lifestyle standpoint, this is really a period in your life where you just need to start taking better damn care of yourself. This is a period in your life where you need to start, um, again, handling your stress better, paying attention to, to fueling your body with good foods. Um, if you've not done that, if you're listening to this and you are in that period and you've not done that in the past, like now's the time. Like now is the time uh, to really start taking care of your body. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. And I have a question off the back of that as well. I've spoken to a couple of female health experts um, and especially around this age group as well. I'm curious to get your thoughts on intermittent fasting. What's your approach when it comes to intermittent fasting? I was like, how do I know you're going to ask that? Because I was going to talk about them in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so I was like, yeah, I was like, I knew he was going to ask it. And I was like, yes. So I am a huge fan of intermittent fasting. Um, you know, what I will say again, there's not a one size fits all. There are certain people who it, you know, it can, uh, depending on where you are hormonally, it could cause a little too much stress on the body. And so maybe that's not the right protocol, but there's a lot of research that shows menopause can be very beneficial with uh, for menopausal women. And even if you're not menopausal, um, I am just a huge fan for what intermittent fasting does for different health reasons, how it can help to stabilize your, you know, help improve insulin sensitivity, um, you know, for what it can do for human growth hormone. I am just a really big fan um, of how it can help your cognitive health. I mean, the weight loss piece of it can be a side effect. That's not why I intermittent fast. I intermittent fast. Um, it's a lifestyle for me. It's not a diet. I never let the clock trump when I eat. If I'm hungry, I will eat. Um, but it is, it is definitely beneficial, um, from that regard, I think from a health standpoint. So I personally am a really big fan. Um, but again, I would just always say, um, if you're, you know, if you're listening to this and you wanted to try some intermittent fasting, you just want to go slow, right? Like there's, there's, you, there's benefits from even fasting just 12 hours. And I will say that the sweet spot for most women is between 14 and 16 hours, you know, to going longer than that can cause too much stress on the body hormonally. And in fact, I had one of the head doctors from a company called Prolon, who they are uh, like the the fasting mimicking company, and they do all these government-funded studies on intermittent fasting. He's a brilliant doctor. And he was saying really that the research shows that there's actually really not much benefit between 14 and 16 hours. Like, Like there's really, once you hit that 14 mark over that, like... If you can get to 16, cool, like it's, you'll probably reduce your overall calorie intake for the day, but it's not like you're getting like massive benefits to where you feel like you have to like white knuckle it just to get to the 16 hours. Like it's not a thing. Yeah. I was curious to get your perspective on that because I spoke to a woman who's very big on functional medicine and just functional practices from a nutritional standpoint. And she's kind of anti-intermittent fasting actually for women. She was saying that, you know, with the cortisol 
that most women are going to be experiencing just due to the high stress lifestyles, having caffeine, having high intensity exercise all in the morning combined with then fasting. That's obviously going to increase cortisol as well. She was kind of like, you know, it might even be better to do circadian fasting, which is more in the line of eating in the morning and then deciding to start your fast earlier in the day because your body is going to be, you know, less inclined to digest food late at night, higher quality sleep, less cortisol in the morning, going to blunt that response from having food. So yeah, I was curious to get your take because if that was her perspective on it. Well, and here's the thing. I'm not arguing what she's saying. I, I do, you know, if you are somebody, and this is why you always have to really, number one, you go slow. Number two, you always be mindful of how you're feeling, right? Like if, and because she's a thousand percent right. That's what I was talking about when I was saying that like women have to be, everybody's different because if you're all, depending on where you're at hormonally, it could be putting too much stress on the body. That's exactly what I was talking about. So, you know, you know your body, right? You know, I know for me, I actually feel more energetic when I do like a 14 hour fast, but you have to tap into how you're feeling. If you're noticing that you are getting more cranky or maybe you're more lethargic or like you're just, you know how you, when you feel good in your body, you know when you don't, right? Like if if you don't, then you have to, then you may have to back off of it. But I will also say that, yeah, I mean that the circadian way of eating, um, that also could be an option, um, for, for people. This is one of the things that the, the MD said that I was talking about from Prolon is he was saying, you know, Really, your hours of fasting don't necessarily matter. Um, it is, it is better to eat earlier in the day than it is later at night. So yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that our perspectives are not necessarily different. It just is, we're saying the same thing, but everybody is different. So it really just kind of depends on what works for you. I coach plenty of clients who don't intermittent fast and have tremendous success in fat loss. You don't need to intermittent fast to lose fat. Like you don't, you don't, that's not a thing. So you have to, this is where it goes by how are you feeling and kind of what's going on with your own body. Exactly. And as you said, finding the right approach for you and everyone is an individual. And I think that we need to remember that someone's diet is not necessarily going to work for you. So just try a bunch of different approaches and see what you feel best on, right? And what you're getting the most out of. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you just the, the main takeaways are like, just keep it simple, right? Forget intermittent fat. And this is, this is one thing I'll say about intermittent fasting. You know, I don't even coach women on intermittent fasting until they have gotten to a point where they are eating enough food throughout the day and that they are eating a more balanced approach to their nutrition. Because I got to tell you, one of the biggest pitfalls I see is that women there who are already under eating, like that woman you talked about that was eating 1200 to 1400 calories are like our, our sample client. I would never put her on intermittent fasting until I bumped up her food at least because when you go to intermittent fast, if you're already under eating, then you're now you're grossly under eating with intermittent fasting and you're eating, you could be eating like you cut out a whole meal and you could be eating like 700 calories a day and that's dangerous. So you have to be very, very careful with it, which is why, again, in my programs, like we don't even get to that for until I feel like clients are ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think as you mentioned, just coming back to the simplicity and making sure that you are prioritizing the right things, right? And as you mentioned with our sample client, she really needs to focus on just getting some good sleep, moving her body and reducing her stress before having to worry about anything else, right? Yes, just start, like, how about this? Like, get some protein, get some greens in your life, get some sleep and move your body. Stay consistent with that. And I guarantee you, you stay consistent with that for four, five, six weeks, you're going to see results. You're going to see results. 
100%. Amber, this has been an amazing conversation. I want to wrap up with a couple of questions. And one of the questions I have for you today is what impact do you want to have with the work that you do on the woman that you work with? I really want to just empower women with the belief that they are capable that you are, you do have the ability to change your life. Uh, and you, it, and things don't have to be so complicated, but you do have to get uncomfortable. And so I think that for so many women, especially at our, you know, 40, 15 beyond, um, we really are very hard on ourselves. Uh, and we, uh, tend to, um, you know, beat ourselves up a lot and, and at this kind of this inner belief that we, we are not capable. And so I just want to empower women with the knowledge and with the belief that they are capable of making change. I love that. And where is the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing? Yes, I would love that. I my favorite my favorite platform is uh, Instagram just because I can we can connect via DM. It's my favorite way. I show up on Instagram every day, especially my DMs, checking to see, you know, who who's messaging me, who can I connect with? So I'm Miss Amber Shaw. It's just MS, MS Amber Shaw. Um, on Instagram. I'm also over on TikTok. It's a big platform of mine. Um, and I have a podcast. It's called the Wellness Revolution Podcast with Amber Shaw. And on this podcast, I really cater to women uh, 40, 50 and beyond. And we are just talking, you know, health, nutrition, really relation, pretty much all things life over after 40. So I would love for you to follow me over there too. Sounds incredible. I'll make sure everything's in the show notes. But Amber, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an amazing conversation. I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you, Elliot, for having me. It's been a blast. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.